1: Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder.
2: And I'm Joel Grote, and we are delighted you are with us. We're in part two of John Kim's story. John was raised in an LDS home. Uh, We learned in our first episode that his life, even though so much of it was probably pretty typical, normal for an LDS culture context, growing up just north of Salt Lake City, Um, he had the added element of, um, being on the autism spectrum that kind of complicated his life a little bit. And when we ended up with our last program, he was talking to us about what he was thinking and feeling, anticipating going on a mission because that's where he was. That's what all his friends were getting ready to do. So John, welcome back to the podcast. And go ahead and kind of pick up where you were and what was going on there in terms of mission preparation with your family, expectation, and what you were feeling and struggling with and what happened with all that.
3: Yeah, will do, Joel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, uh, when I was a senior in high school, they changed the missionary age for boys from 19 to 18, and that worried me quite a bit because... You know, I thought I would have, like, an extra year to mature and prepare and maybe uh, find the answers to all my questions about Mormon doctrine and history that I was wrestling with. Um, but now, like, the deadline was closer, and I was I, I was panicking quite a bit. Um, and I felt a very intense pressure to go on a mission. Um, not because my family was pushing me, actually, though. Um, they made it clear to me that they would be okay if i chose not to go on a mission um but i placed enormous uh pressure on myself because of girls um yeah, so uh, you know, like since since the time you know they're three, uh, the Mormon Church teaches kids like you need to get married in the temple, and they're having the three year old say it back. We we will get married in the temple, like uh, yeah. <laughs> um, to, you know, to a return missionary, like um, right. <laughs> so uh, because of that, um knowing that, like, this temple marriage stuff was central to Mormonism and to their works' righteousness, um, I felt an enormous pressure to go on a mission because, you know, not being the most socially adept, uh, you know, I would need all the help I could get (laughs) to attract a mate. Um, And uh, so yeah just this huge pressure i felt like i really had to go to be a good mormon but i was also uh incredibly unworthy to go um mm. because uh yeah like i was um you know full of sin uh you know i was lying i was uh stealing even i was uh making a lot of ruckus um and i was also uh yeah, uh, caught in the grips of a pornography um, addiction, because uh, my my parent my parents were on the cusp of the internet generation. They didn't quite understand how bad of a jungle it would be. Yes, um, and so yeah, when I uh, stumbled across it, um, maybe around fourth or fifth grade, like it was early. Um, oh. Like I was just hooked. Not not necessarily because i wanted to um but because it started this huge like cycle of guilt and repentance and air quotes and guilt and repentance right um and yet a growing attraction because it is addictive and it is a draw
2: i say because my son was in fourth grade at a christian school when he got exposed to it and started spending all his recesses in the library
3: um oh man that's yeah so uh yeah so it's it's mormon doctrine or at least it was where i was taught again i talk to people and they don't seem to agree on this and it boggles me um but at least the way i was taught it was doctrine that when like you repent of your sins um and it's not uh it's not you turning away from your sins and turning to christ which is what i understand to be the correct definition of repentance um the mormon one is no when you do something sinful uh you got to um say you're sorry to heavenly father their uh, false idol and uh uh, promise to never do it again and then you got to keep that promise um now if you do that repentance repentance ritual and then commit the sin again not only have you incurred uh the guilt of that sin but you've also incurred the guilt of breaking your promise to heavenly father and the original guilt of your past sins um uh is reapplied to you um and all so-
1: come back on your head right yeah. doesn't no it say in dnc
3: yeah yeah dnc
2: 82 i think <laughs> the former sins return
3: yeah okay good to know that is actually scriptural um yeah uh <laughs> but to them but uh yeah so me with you know my uh logical mind it quickly became apparent to me that like crap like this is an exponential growth of guilt uh because yeah. every time I was sinning, I was not adding one sin to my bucket. I was adding one plus one for breaking a promise, plus uh, all the previous instances of sinning and promise breaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it quickly balloons like out of control, and it quickly became enormously soul-crushing.
1: So, John, had you gone to church authorities with this, because they do keep record of it, and if you go back to even to a different bishop and commit and and confess the same sin, that becomes quite an issue.
3: Yeah. So, um, as a teenager in the Mormon Church, uh, they have you do um, temple baptisms for the dead. And in order to go to the temple you must have your temple recommend and one of the questions is are you keeping the law of chastity um which means you know abstinence uh from at least the way i was raised it was abstinence from uh all sexual impurity before marriage yes um and so the first few times i went in for that temple interview um you know, I, I was honest about it and, you know, confessed to my bishop. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, watching pornography and doing this. And uh the natural result is that I wouldn't get my temple recommend. And then, you know, all the boys and girls would come home from baptisms uh the next Sunday and ask, Hey, John, where were you? <laughs> right? Oh,
2: man. So
3: there was this whole, like, social shame thing and... uh. I eventually decided to just lie whenever I got to that part of the temple recommend interview. Cause I couldn't figure out how to stop. Um, I couldn't figure out how to escape, uh, because all the methods they gave me being a Mormon scripture study, uh, additional prayer, you know, additional church yeah. activity, none of that was working. None of that was helping. I yeah. was promised blessings and none came um and so uh because i was still uh, very much a true believing mormon at the time i the conclusion i came to was that i was uniquely um broken and evil and cursed by god (laughs) Um, wow that was so hard uh
2: and you carried that through starting in fifth sixth grade
3: yeah, so I, I carried I carried that idea from fifth grade to several years, even after leaving the Mormon Church in college. Um, it was a very powerful idea the the idea that uh, I was broken um, uh, and
2: flawed in some way. Yeah,
3: because the fixes I was being prescribed weren't working, um, and it
2: couldn't ever be the problem of the fix. Because after all, this is the one true church guided by prophets and apostles. Right. What they're going to give you is going to be right and true. So once again, the problem has to be you. Oh, my
3: gosh. So let me me tie this back into uh, the chronological narrative. Um, Because of that pressure to go on a mission and the inability to be worthy enough for a mission uh, by honest standards, um, I became desperate for an alternative route to worthiness um i figured okay everyone's telling me there's something in the temple uh that you know makes everything make sense i can't go to the temple so i got to figure this out on my own so that i can go on this mission um and uh uh one part i skipped was that uh this uh pressure to go on a mission and not feeling like i could was one of the reasons i chose a music degree um because i wanted to use it as a bit of a buffer a bit of an excuse saying well you know mom and dad in the neighborhood uh sorry guys i can't go on a mission right now i'll lose my chops i won't be able to uh, play piano well enough to graduate <laughs> um, uh. so th- that was actually a very strong factor in uh picking my degree um and it wasn't a true excuse there was a kid named tony who came back from his mission and was an amazing pianist blew everyone's socks off uh even though he hadn't been practicing on his mission so it wasn't a it wasn't a real excuse i was just (laughs) looking for an out um but uh i started trying to find that secret that you know that path to worthiness that you know to help me become right with uh you know their system and their god um and what i found out was that joseph smith air quotes translated the book of mormon using a seer stone and, and i was the like the
1: church is the one that announced that right is that how oh, you heard
3: I, it? I, no 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 i was uh, finding this stuff out online um uh-huh. i it still astonishes me that they revealed the seer stone in uh, 2016 like, right. Wow, I never thought they would fess up to that. Um, but yes. now they're but now it's like a thing. Like uh they're teaching that in my sister's seminary classes. Like really? Joseph Smith used a Seer Stone to translate the golden place. Like I'm like, whoa, this yeah. is changing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well they can't
2: they can't avoid it anymore because right. for decades ministries like ours, we had an article on the Sea Stone back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, and we would Always get complaints from Mormon people saying that is so not true. That's an anti-Mormon myth. You guys need to take that down, and we're like, no. Look at the historical sources. And as the historical sources just kept mounting and building, the Mormon Church had to do that topics because. What
1: I love this is what I love that it did to John. So John, where did where did the seer stone lead you when you were gone to college?
3: yeah oh man uh yeah my first year of college i found this out and i'm like this is it stones let's go so i went to a (laughs) new age shop and bought a bunch of spirit crystals (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh i I kept them with me like always they were always in my pocket Uh, i would sit down to class and i'd spread them in a row across my desk according to their chakra alignment and uh like I take them to exams and uh, juries, which are like a uh, music performance exams where all the professors gather and they see if you can actually uh, play to their specifications. Right. Um, and so I would put all these spirit crystals across the top of the piano. <laughs> so what was,
2: your, what was your line of thinking then? How did you tie Joseph Smith and Searstone into this new age crystal chakra genre? Can you give us a little insight into the trail your mind took to go, and were you thinking, "Hey, if it worked for Joseph Smith, it should work for me"?
3: Yeah, it it was something similar to that. Um, it it was very much more an emotional decision than a logical one. Um, mm-hmm. I I was just desperate for a alternative pathway to wor- worthiness. Um, okay. and so I would take whatever I could get. But like, um, yeah, the the other factor was that um near the end of high school, I was starting to become more liberally minded. Like now I'm a diehard, like bibl- biblical, conservative, but. Um,
1: <laughs> How does that happen by God, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I was, I was starting to like think th- through things in a more liberal lens, um, I remember having like some real, uh, big issues with, uh, the church's stance on gay marriage Uh, because this was the Obama years um, and that was a hot topic Um, and the only answer they could give me is like God works in mysterious ways we're not meant to know everything in this life but all will be revealed in the next and like no that (laughs) how does that make any sense Uh, so um, now I understand that the gay marriage issue um, has an actual biblical basis it's a rejection of god's design and his sovereignty and you know it it makes perfect sense now but because mormon theology by necessity has to be paper thin uh they couldn't give me anything like that um and so i was leaning towards uh the left and uh, they're super into yoga and health food and uh new age um and so yeah it was more just like i'd say it was just more an emotional connection here was something that looked like it could provide righteousness and worthiness without having to go through the prescribed mormon system right and there and, wasn't and a necessary think, go ahead lynn
1: i think that's a, a not real unusual place to go after mormonism so there's several things about mormonism that kind of set you up for new age theology right yeah right it,
3: And and looking back on it, it was uh, the Lord's hand guiding me down this specific path because it was because of the crystals that um, I started seriously questioning the Mormon church. Uh, Because one day, I think it was like January of my freshman year, uh, my mom confronted me and she said, you know know these crystals are like demonic, right? (laughs) Huh. And, and she's not wrong, but like, uh, so like, you know, this is like satanic, like really please consider stop using these. Um, and right there in the kitchen, uh, I have this very visceral experience. It was like, uh, it was like my world shattered into a thousand pieces of glass and then fell to the floor. Um, it, it was very visceral and I was confronted with this impossible paradoxical reality. The stones were good for Joseph Smith, but bad for me. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's that wonderful black and white brain of yes, yours. Yes. I love that.
3: Um, And I couldn't reconcile that. Here is something that was both black and white at the same time. Something didn't add up. Yeah. um and so now did uh, you did yeah. you ask your mom that did you say
2: but mom joseph smith used a seer stone to translate the book of mormon i think <laughs> or... i think
3: i did but i don't remember how she responded um whatever it was it wasn't good enough for me because <laughs> yeah. uh, c- c- i was very arrogant uh between like uh 15 and 22 like very arrogant oh my man oh man um but uh yeah like and so because of this experience um I started looking into the church way more deeply than before and I started realizing that things weren't adding up um one of the uh, biggest ones for me was reading uh the diaries of Lucy Max Smith uh Joe one of Joseph's sisters um, where she recounts an experience of uh, joseph presenting her the Urm and Thummim, one of the artifacts alongside the golden plates. Um, uh, he handed it to her covered in a cloth he wouldn't let her take off the cloth and uh, as she felt it uh, sh- she writes in the journal that like it very much felt like a pair of spectacles. Um, and according to the book of mormon this was an artifact, you know, before 800 A.D. created by the American Israelites. Right. Um, And as I looked into it, I came, I I found out like that glasses, spectacles were invented in Italy during the 1300s.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the Book of Mormon's full of such things, right?
3: Right. That weren't
1: Um, here yet in the Americas.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, but they're in the Book of Mormon. So, I was looking up all this archaeology stuff, and but it kept there was this constant roadblock because whenever I brought these questions to, you know, my bishop or my parents or, you know, trusted uh, Mormon neighbors or my institute teacher um, at the university, I always always got the same response um which was god works in mysterious ways we're not meant to know everything in this life but everything will be revealed in the next
1: <laughs> i got that four it's times. Not in the uh,
3: yeah like uh, and logically speaking that works i mean it leaves you with no sense of comfort or security but uh you know if these things don't seemingly add up but there is a solution that will be made known later like yeah that logically holds even if it's awful um, and so even though I was finding out all this stuff about the Mormon Church and how it fell short of you know any reasonable standard by which you evaluate things as true or false uh, I I still couldn't let go of it because you know it always could be hand-waved and if that's the correct yeah. answer, that's the correct answer. But the thing that finally convinced me otherwise, the thing that finally gave me permission to stop believing in Mormonism, was when I was was when I found a uh, a specific thing, a specific alteration to a quote the LDS Church made in one of their manuals. Uh, this is this is one of the uh, teaching manuals they use for adult Sunday school. Yeah. Um, I think it was the teachings of the prophet Lorenzo Snow. Um, and in it, there's a quote. Um, and the guy, some guy online w- was showing everyone, hey, look, here's the original quote from his original talk. Uh, every family, comma, if able, comma, should pay a full tithe. But the way they've quoted it in the manual reads like this. Every family dot, 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 should pay a full tithe.
1: Mm, changes now, meaning, doesn't
3: it? Yeah. Um, the only logical explanation for that change is if they want more tithing money. There's no other reason to take out two words. Um, and that was finally the thing that gave me permission. This wasn't something I could hand wave with. Oh, this one will be explained in the life to come. No, this is clear deception. This is clear misrepresentation. You cannot hand wave this. This one is is cut and dry. This
2: is altering historical record and we can see exactly how and where and who altered it. And Lorenzo Snow was one of the presidents of the church.
3: Right, and so uh, finding that uh, broke my shelf, which is the ex-Mormon colloquialism, but um, finding that out gave me permission to accept the it's not true answer for all the other questions. Mm. Um. Yeah, and yeah, it, it it really did feel like, you know, a sh- a bookshelf breaking and all the books tumbling down. Like this, finally, made sense. The Mormon Church wasn't true, and a story. Um. And that
2: leaves you. you where? I mean, where are you at this point in your life?
3: Then age, schooling. Okay. So, uh, I would have been nineteen. This was the summer after my freshman year of college. Um, and, I, yeah, I finally threw out the Book of Mormon, um, but I also threw out the Bible because I figured there wasn't a difference. I had been raised my whole life. everyone saying the Book of Mormon's awesome and the Bible's not as good. Always, you know, like, right. You know, and so I I just, so why
1: turn to the Bible, right?
3: Right. So I just threw out both of them because uh, I figured, you know, they're basically the same, uh, and I became an atheist and a very, very angry and miserable atheist. Um.
1: Yeah, again, part of many people's journey, right? Just go to Reddit, right? Yeah or some of the ex-Mormon form- forums on Facebook. And this is a perfect place to stop this episode, and I would call this one the deconstructing of faith.
3: <laughs> there That's we go.
1: Um, I know we're about to get to the rebirth and re-life. So. Yep we'll be doing that in another episode john thank you so much for sharing your heart this has been so like honest and authentic and really clear i think for the listeners so until next time friends grace and peace
2: so long bye-bye
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We have an exciting announcement. Michael Wilder's new book, Passport to Heaven, is out, and for a donation of $20 or more to the podcast, we'll send it to you. It's the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the Micah's Book button to get yours. We appreciate your support of the Unveiling Grace Podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.